worshipped, so they said, the great old ones who lived ages before there were any men, and who came to the young world at the Welcome, everyone, to episode 24 of the Great Old Ones Gaming Podcast. I am your host, Nate, lost in time and space, and I am joined with today... I am the man from Ling, host of the Whisper in Darkness YouTube channel. And I am Innkeeper of Ace Odin from the Twisted Tentacle Inn. Hey, this is Nathan, the uh, Jester of the Abyss, the name that everybody has given me that I did not give myself, uh, Eater of All Strudels, and uh, Merrymaker here at your disposal. I think you, you you definitely gave yourself that name. I don't really think it's a big important. Hey, um, while I have your attention, uh, everybody, why did you give me the wrong day to record and the wrong uh, podcast? Are you trying to tell me something? This is going somewhere. I'm not quite sure where it's going. Though. Well, I figured out when you were recording and uh, caught up with you. I also noticed that you changed the description under the podcast to just mention the three of you. Um, so I'm not trying to like start anything here on air because I know we're recording right now, but I'm going to talk to you. If you're across the street. I'm going to talk to you after this podcast. Yeah, come on over. We'll have some pie, some cooked steel vanilla wafers. <laughs> Who would eat that? <laughs> no one would eat that. <laughs> What's on the deck today, Nate? Let's get the let's get the hype going, the hype train. Oh my goodness, Basie, just like hit. <laughs> drop, grab a mic and drop it, man. We're recording this very late at night, and you're hitting me with like all sorts of emotions at like almost midnight. How is eight forty-seven late at night? It's not, but that's your time, not my time. Nate travels in time. Yeah, it's remember like New York expansion. That's you got cool. lost ones. See, uh, oh, man. Well, that kind of ruins one of the announcements that we had, at least news-wise for Arkham. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as far as other recent product releases, there was the Return to the Circle Undone. Finally saw store shelves. Well, store shelves, depending on where you live, from the looks of it. Uh, we also saw copies of Edge of the Earth enter the wild in the UK. And FFG did their in-flight report of right before Gen Con, going over some new product releases, like we alluded to earlier, a new standalone scenario, as well as repackaging of all of the previous campaigns in the stylings of the Edge of the Earth. Pretty exciting stuff, so I figured we could kind of go over initially a question that was posed to by a patron of ours, which was uh, kind of how we felt about FFG reformatting old cycles into this new style and also doing this with Lord of the Rings because I know Nathan and Men From Lying, you guys play quite a bit of Lord of the Rings. Well, I think I think it's I think it's good for the new players out there who will hopefully be joining the game with the release of the revised core set sometime this year, I hope. Uh, given the shipping woes that seem to be affecting all companies. Nobody seems to be quite sure when things are going to be released, but I assume that the uh, the revised core set will uh, is going to attract a lot of new players. I've had a lot of people contacting me uh, through my channel, just asking about uh, the revised core set, and of course, inevitably, the question that comes after that is, "What do I buy next?" And um, answering that question has gotten a lot easier. Uh, because I can simply say, well, pick up Edge of the Earth first and then uh, bide your time because 
the Dunwich Legacy will be coming out in the same format uh, at some point early next year. And then I assume from then on we'll get Carcosa and Forgotten Age and etc. etc. after that, which will make it very easy for players to uh, complete their collections without have to, having to go Mythos pack hunting. How many of you are going to play Dunwich again? right before Edge of the Earth because they've announced that it is, in fact, a continuation of the story. I mean, I don't think I will, but that's certainly an interesting thought. It'd be fun to, like, play Dunwich and then go through Edge of the Earth with this with the same investigators. With the same amount of trauma? Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, like oh, man, this is brutal. <laughs> I'm, I missed the memo about calling it Dunwich now. That's technically how you're supposed to say it. It's like saying night instead of knight. Or uh, machete instead of machete. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. No, I didn't know that. Are Are you saying that it's officially going to be like you continue with your same characters? Or no, but the storyline continues in spirit. So, I know several groups uh, around the world that have voiced that they're going to within their group play through Dunwich and then jump into. Uh, edge of the earth for the sake of continuity i could see that especially because dunnish doesn't give you a ton of experience and it's one of the easier campaigns in the game so you could reasonably get through it fairly unscathed wait are you saying it's easier than the forgotten age yes forgotten age is not easy what are you talking about i just want to make sure you're saying that but I, I think I'm in agreement with Man from Lang, too. I mean, it's just kind of the natural conclusion of the changes that they made with Edge of the Earth, right? Like, you see the you see the new campaigns being released in this way. It just kind of makes sense that they would go back and release the older campaigns in this style rather than trying to repent, you know, seven Mythos packs or six Mythos packs in a box. So I like this change. Uh, it's a little unfortunate that... It doesn't really offer anything new for veteran players other than perhaps maybe second or third copies of additional player cards if you want to pick up a second uh, investigator box. But it's a little disappointing that they don't do something a little extra for these, but I can't really complain since they're not really intended to be new releases. But honestly, Nate, would what would you think if they added, I don't know, Three new cards. Do you think that people would be happy about that? That you, you, we would hear the echoes of, oh no, now I have to spend sixty dollars or whatever that it's going to cost just to get these three new cards when I already own, you know, the rest of these. No, I, d- I don't think that would be a good idea either. Yeah. So like adding something new, I don't think that would entice people. It would I think alienate the people that already own this stuff and. Make I mean, them a little upset. you could do like alternate art reprints. You could perhaps, um, you know, include cards from the core set. Uh, this is one thing that's always kind of irked me with the return to boxes is that uh, despite their best efforts, there always seems to be like one or two encounter sets from the core set that you still end up needing, which I don't know why it just kind of annoys me. <laughs> Like, Swarm of Rats, they never seem to want to, like, reprint Swarm of Rats when you need Swarm of Rats in, like, every single campaign. They did They did reprint 
There was one one or two cards. I can't remember. Yeah, it was the Whippoorwills. The Whippoorwills, that's what it was, yeah. Yeah, they did that in Circle Undone, but, you know, it'd just be nice to, like, it'd just be nice to see them do that, just so you don't have to do so much, like, you know, box management or card management. Hmm. That's just a personal quality of life thing that I'd like to see. Uh, another change that I've seen people kind of clamor for was, like, including return to cards, but I don't think that really makes much sense either, since... If you were to do that, it renders those products essentially useless, and it would confuse people. Let's be honest, because mm-hmm. what do you, people be like? What do I use? What do I play? What does this mean? It's it's good to keep those products separate. I agree. On a similar vein, do you guys like think that these products will kind of continue to obscure return to boxes, or is this kind of a better? a better outlet for return to since now it's much easier to acquire campaigns. Uh, I'm not too sure how, like, I don't know how popular the return to boxes are. I mean, the, I think hardcore players and people who are completists will pick them up automatically, but uh, I don't know how many sort of casual players will pick them up. I think there's that impression out there that it makes the campaign harder, which it does to a certain extent, but, uh, and I think most people think this game is hard enough as it is. So the idea of making it even worse is not that appealing. And I mean, honestly, the a lot of the player cards that they've released in those boxes have not been particularly uh, showstoppers. So uh, yeah, I, I I'm glad they're going to repackage the the campaigns just because it will make it so much easier for people to to get their hands on them and and play them. And then maybe that will lead them to the return to boxes. But I've always sort of seen the return to boxes as as products for completionists not so much casual players. I would agree with that. You know, it's like the, I mean, the return to boxes are the evolution of the nightmare packs for, that were in Lord of the Rings. And I own a couple of the nightmare packs from that game, but nowhere near as many as that have been printed just because I know like X scenario is hard enough. I don't need to turn it into a nightmare scenario to have fun with it. Yeah. And I, I think so. I think I agree with you, man, from Ling. It's uh, not something that, most people would go out of their way to get. I mean, uh, I think one of you guys mentioned in the in a previous episode, like if you have thirty dollars to spare, do you get a brand new story or do you spend it on a return to box that is basically going to keep everything the same except for a few minor changes and a couple of player cards? Like, if if you have everything already and you want more, then it makes sense. But most people, especially anyone who's come into the game. Uh, as recently as say two years ago probably doesn't own everything so any extra money instead of a return to box is probably better spent on a standalone they haven't played or individual like investigator packs they haven't they haven't gotten yet or that kind of thing new content versus just a refreshing of existing content yeah and i don't think the return to boxes radically change the the way a lot of scenarios play like Sometimes they do, but I think for the most part, you can play a lot of scenarios in return to mode and you would honestly be hard pressed to, to figure out the difference between the two. It happened to me and Nate. Like we were, we've been playing return to circle undone and 
I think the last two scenarios, very few things felt different. Like we didn't pick the, we didn't make the right decisions to get on the new story path that was introduced. So we didn't even get to experience that. All we really saw were a few new encounter cards and, you know, one or two locations that were new that really weren't impactful at all. On a couple of the scenarios, actually, <laughs> I expected there to be a lot more changes since so many people were, you know, so up in arms about Circle and Done. I, I expected there to be some major changes on some of the mechanics, like they did with Forgotten Age. I think the return to Forgotten Age did have some impactful changes that affected a lot of the scenarios in the campaign. But but I agree, like the overall in general, the return to boxes don't change enough of it to make it something that's that new and fresh where I would decide to buy that versus a completely different story if both are available in the, you know in a store that I'm at or whatever. I mean, what what is nice though about these new campaign boxes is that it it allows somebody to just grab all the player cards from the cycle as well. So, I don't know if this is something that you guys experience. I know Vase, you tend to buy like three or four copies of everything, and Man from Lang, you kind of do a similar thing. Don't but, forget Nathan. But he for somebody, <clears throat> but for somebody that's just normal that just buys one of everything, it's very difficult to have a collection that can actually build decks for four players without having to make compromises in some regard. So it's nice that. The splitting up of these of the campaigns in this style allows players to allows veteran players to grab staple cards from previous campaigns without having to worry about excess scenario chaff. Well, that's that's always been a problem with the with the LCG model is that you know you're you're buying a pack of cards, not singles. Then there's no singles market. So if I want five more copies of unexpected courage it's going to be very hard for me to to get those there was this one website that sold singles but it was kind of all over the place the the uh ones that people wanted were a lot of times not not available unfortunately or or very and it expensive makes sense. it makes sense yeah 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 but there there was a, i can't remember what it was called I bought a few singles myself from that, from that website of exactly unexpected courage. But there was also another uh, standalone that was announced too in this FFG in-flight report. Uh, there wasn't much given about it other than the name and a little product blurb about it. Uh, being a scenario that's epic multiplayer and it sees the investigators jumping between three different timelines of the 1890s, the 1920s, and the 1950s. So do you guys have any speculations as to what either of the 1890s or the 1950s would be about? Nope. No, I I have no idea. <laughs> the uh, They were pretty sparing with the information about it, so... I imagine it will be they've done pretty well with a lot of those a lot of those uh standalones so I expect it to be be worthwhile. I got to say it does open up um you know starting or or maybe placing a seed for future stories that take place in different time periods with Arkham and maybe getting some player cards that have to do with that kind of thing, you know? 
like weapons from the 50s or weapon, weapons from the 1890s. I think that would be cool. Obviously, they're probably not going to include those kinds of player cards unless they're story rewards in a standalone, but at least it may be the start of a new story that takes place. You know, traveling back in time in the 1890s, you do something for this standalone, and then maybe in a future product, that causes this whole other thing to happen. So now you have an entire, like, three-scenario mini-campaign taking place in that time period. I, maybe it's wishful thinking, but I think it'd be cool if they did something like that. At least it, it maybe opens up some uh, areas for creativity with those things. Yeah, I'm curious if they're going to go kind of like in the route where they did with War of the Outer Gods, where they sort of have like three sectors of the map be different like representations of each timeline, or if they're going to do something a little more unique, which I would hope is the case. Um I mean, there's certainly a lot of potential for things to do. I mean, the 1950s is like the start of the Cold War and the Eisenhower era, so there's certainly a lot of in, uh, inspiration that you could draw from. And then the 1890s, you know, I think that's like very close to Jack the Ripper and Victorian London and all that sort of stuff, so you could sort of get inspired by that direction. So there's there's a lot of interesting interesting things that they could pull from, at least as far as story goes. Yeah, perhaps they use they could use something like they did with um, City of Archives, where certain items aren't allowed in certain times. That oh, that'd be, be cool. That might be interesting. Although I don't know how they would manage that with three different timelines. That might get a little too fiddly, where it's just like, oh, do I have my flamethrower or do I not have my flamethrower? Yeah, I'm sure there's there's definitely a way that you could do it. Maybe you just do it based on certain traits or something like that. Like in the 1890s, you can't have firearms or you know, some, something along those lines, but it's neat to see that they're at least, you know, starting to drip feed some of the news. Cause it feels like FFG sort of has these cycles of releasing two or three products at once. And, and then we get nothing for months. And I think, I think that trend is going to continue at least for the, foreseeable future especially with that worldwide chip shortage yeah i I don't know how much of that is directly related to to the pandemic and how much of that is just sort of given the nature of how ffg is as a company tends to operate because i mean we saw that even before the pandemic too Mm -hmm. right where we would get products kind of in a large swath and same with the announcements too so I think that this release model kind of works in their favor in that regard. Because I think with the previous model, keeping up month to month was very difficult. Yeah, I think it was too aggressive. And, and yeah, I think I think this way allows the game to, I know we've said this kind of multiple times, but it allows the game to breathe and gives each of the expansions like their own time in the sun, which I do like. But kind of on that subject... Since we know that Edge of the Earth is nearing nearing release and it's seen release in the UK at this point as the, as of the recording of this episode, what um, I wanted to ask you guys, what aspect of a campaign do you kind of tackle first? Do you look at new investigators and build decks and go from there? Or do you kind of look through the campaign and then think about playing the campaign? I, I don't know how much people like to do things blind. Uh, it's very much in the spirit of the game to have it be, I think, to have it be like, 
you, you test the investigator as you're doing the adventure. You test the cycle as you're doing the cycle. You know, I don't like to look ahead. I don't like to pry too much. I kind of just let it unfold. Um, and then, of course, once it's already been spoiled once, then you go through and try it with all the different investigators. You know, get out your Barkham Horror investigators and go to town, do whatever you want. But uh, the very first time, yeah, I just slowly kind of try the different investigators out. And I, I keep within the flavor, going back to the key, uh, trying out the people who they made the adventure around. Because uh, even though you don't, of course, it's all modular, you can mix people. I think it's really cool to have the people from that scenario, or at least what they made for that scenario to try out. So a little bit of A, a little bit of B. Yeah, I think I'm kind of in the same boat. I tend to pick an investigator from the box that kind of piques my interest and then build a deck and play through the campaign uh, at least once or twice just to kind of see see the the different story routes and kind of how they unfold. And then... And then from there, kind of delve through the rest of the rest of the investigators in the player box and kind of go into the scenarios more in detail. Yeah, I imagine that I will probably play Monterey Jack through the campaign first. Nice. Yeah. And then and then go from the and spread out from there. The uh, the other investigators um, besides Lily Chen, uh, I mean, I've played Norman a lot, so. I probably won't play him right away. And uh, Daniela is has one intellect, which means you've got to build a specific deck for her if she's going to make it through solo. And then um, Lily Chen would probably be my next most interesting. It sounds like, um, what's the salesman's name? Bob Jenkins. Bob Jenkins. He sounds... Eh, I get the impression that he's more of a multiplayer guy, but I mean, Bob's also the survivor, which means he's automatically going to be better than any other investigator in the box. So, <laughs> well, Daniela's part survivor too. Let's not forget. True. And he actually, Bob mostly goes into rogue cards. So he's, he's only a survivor at first. Mm hmm. Yeah, but there, I mean, the survivor cards at level zero are pretty good. Yeah, well, they're okay, I guess. I mean, I, I would, I would play them personally, but. But what about you, Vase? What uh, how do you tend to go about a new campaign release? I like to, I like to do like, uh, like you and Nathan said, basically just go into the, into the story with one of the newer investigators, but. There's a couple of campaigns that I ran through the first time with older investigators, which is interesting, um, because there's a few investigators that I really like, and I want to see how they, I want to test their metal, I guess, with the, the new thing, you know? Uh, but if there's an investigator in the box that really interests me, then I'll run it through with that investigator. Otherwise, I'll run it through with... One of the one of the <laughs> favorite vase investigators, Carolyn or Mateo or whatever, and then afterwards, then I'll try the other investigators. All right. So, in, in the spirit of new campaigns, uh, I have a another kind of quick question for you guys too. That maybe that'll spark uh, a bit more of a conversation. Is do you do you think the older campaigns hold up in comparison to the newer campaigns? I do think that they hold up. Um, Arkham is kind of a unique game in that. 
because you have other games that when you look back, um, I'm going to bring up some games that I played at least like D&D. If you look at the older campaigns, they're a lot of them are really trash. Uh, you know, they seem pretty cool when you first played them, but like Princes of the Apocalypse and a few of the really early ones are really, really bad when you go back after seeing what they've done with the newer stuff. Because the designers, I mean, it, it just makes sense. They're learning from their mistakes. They're learning from the past, you know? Or at least they should be. And even other games, like card games, like Magic. If you look at some of the older cards, some are too broken, some are too weak. Uh, newer cards tend to at least have more of that balance in mind. And they've learned from previous cards what they're you know, what the issues are, what what not to do. <laughs> and they still can experiment with some newer stuff, but they know kind of where the line is with at least a few things, you know? So overall, I think with Arkham, it, it kind of falls uh, in a different category because with Arkham, you go back, other than Dunwich, or you, I'm sorry, it's Dunwich now. So other than... Oh, you <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> other than Dunwich, because... Um, that one feels like the XP they give in that one is a little low, but it's relevant because the difficulty is also lower, but it was their first campaign. But other than that one, all the others seem to hold up for me, both in difficulty, even with new player cards released, at least maybe I'm not that good of a deck builder, but difficulty wise, they all seem to still hold up. And story-wise, they all hold up really well. Mechanics, they still feel interesting to me. Um, you know, even even the first campaign, um, or the mini campaign, I guess, um, Night of the Zealot, still feels really interesting. Uh, it's uh, Night of the Zealot. Um, oh. It's a British <clears throat> pronunciation. <laughs> so, don't worry about that. Okay, White of the Jealous is actually really, really still interesting to me. Uh, the last scenario is still overly difficult, so that hasn't changed. So, I think uh, Arkham is one of the few games, if not the only game I've played, where all the older stuff is still relevant and still holds strong, in my opinion. What about, what do you think, Man from Ling? I really like all the old campaigns, and I, I've played the hell out of them and I'll still keep playing the hell out of them because I've played them a lot and I, I'm familiar with how they work and I can play them quickly and if I just want to sit down and play a few games I can you know run through the first four scenarios of of uh, the Dunwich Legacy and and you know enjoy myself and I think I, I tend to like the old stuff simply because you know the the circle undone as a solo player is just a huge waste of time <laughs> to be honest. So as a predominantly solo player, it just feels like the circle undone doesn't exist uh, beyond the say first two scenarios. And then after that, it's like, well, I'm not going to play any of these, you know, consistently. So uh, I kind of hop over that one. And then and I, I kind of find dreamlands is because of it's the split um, the split campaign, I tend to find that one a little, I don't play it as much simply because I, you know, you've got to pick a side and the sides are pretty short and I haven't really played a lot of Vinsmith, but, um, you know, I enjoy the old, I still enjoy all of the old campaigns quite a bit. And I mean, now it's, now that you're, I mean, I've played them so much, I mean, they're, it's nice to to be challenged and you know try to 
try different things, like try to achieve objectives that I haven't been able to do, like, you know, rescuing what's his nuts in uh, in the house always wins. Like That's actually his name now. They've eroded him, yeah. It's what's his nuts. Mr. What's his nuts, Esquire. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, can I do that without, you know, without using cheats like um uh, like some of the rogue cards that like you teleport across the the map and stuff like that. Yeah, I think of anything the older campaigns definitely hold up really well in this game. Um I mean, there are a couple of exceptions, I think certain scenarios don't do particularly well with some of the newer cards, but I think that speaks more to the to the cards themselves, like the individual player cards. Uh, like Man from Lang you were kind of alluding to, but yeah, I mean, kind of echoing sort of the same thoughts. Uh, you know, these the older campaigns have a lot of solid story beats to them and are just generally very enjoyable and, you know, they're very thematic as well. I mean, that's kind of a huge reason why I really love The Forgotten Age is because of its theming. And I think that the gameplay and the theme kind of really create a cohesive package with that campaign that I've always really enjoyed despite its difficulty. And Night of the Zealot is still very good and if you have the return to that makes that mini campaign a lot more enjoyable you know uh i talk with a lot of people who like carcosa a lot it seems to be a fan or a the customer base of theirs favorite and i can't help but think that other than the fact that it has good story beats it has good locations overall pretty balanced i i think it's the fact that it really hones in on making you feel special because you're singled out you know it's like you are the the golden child you are the the one that the prophecy foretold insert many horror and action and sci-fi movies here uh you know plus the writing was excellent yeah it's a good point you make nathan i think that's kind of why i don't like the circle undone is because it always sort of feels like things are happening around you and it's the story sort of set up where it's meant to be about you in this grand adventure, but you're kind of just following people along. So that's a, that's a good point. I do think that the older campaigns do a really good job of making the player feel like the center of the story. So here's a question for you guys. Uh, I always feel like when I'm building building decks that there's always a set of cards that I sort of feel like I have to auto include, especially as a predominantly solo player. Uh, You know, cards like Unexpected Courage or more recently like Promise of Power in my Mystic decks or, you know, Sixth Sense or sort of things like that. Um, Do you feel that there are more auto include cards in certain classes over others? Um, And do do you feel that one one particular class is more flexible than another and are there are there auto include cards that you see a lot of other people play that you wouldn't necessarily play yourself perfect segue so since you since you're in the mood to talk nathan go ahead and answer nate's question (laughs) punt to base (laughs) you bastard (laughs) uh there there are some cards that are staples for me i don't necessarily avoid cards because others have them as staples and I don't go out of my way like to 
not put a card in just because I use it all the time. I mean, some cards are just good, and I mean, it's not... To me, it's not boring to have it come up a lot. So, uh, cards that that I almost always put in, specifically for Mystics, um, the Stars Are Right. I love that card. It's just so good. I have it in almost every deck that can take it. I know. I always associate that I, card with you now, because you're like I the agree. player that I always see play it the most. It's so good. I just love that card. It's so much fun. When it comes up, it's one of those moments, when, especially when you're playing with someone else. Like, playing solo, it, first, you rarely... When you play solo, you can play that card and never really get any benefit out of it, since you're drawing so few cards from the encounter deck. But playing multiplayer, you almost always see it when you play, and it's like, oh, yeah! You know, and... Someone gets an extra turn. Someone gets resources. Like, it's so awesome. I love that card. Um, Voice of Raw, I kind of play in deck. I put it in decks, but then I never get to play it. It's one of those cards that I'm starting to think maybe I should stop putting in decks. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I'm sorry. I, I should read what the cards say for those who are listening to us that don't know what the cards are. So, uh, Stars Are Right is actually a, a card that comes out when you play a card called Stargazing. So I'll read Stargazing. It's a Mystic level one, zero cost, with a wild icon, and it's you can only do it twice per game maximum. And you play it if there are ten or more cards in the encounter deck. You search your bonded cards for one copy of the Stars Are Right, and you shuffle it into the top ten cards of the encounter deck. And there's a chance that you'll draw it <laughs> during the, the Mythos phase. And uh, so the stars are right. You don't play from your deck. It just comes out of the encounter deck. And it says, Revelation, remove the stars are right from the game. Choose an investigator. That investigator draws one card, gains one resource, and may take an immediate action as if it were their turn. And this action doesn't count towards the number of actions that investigator can take each turn. So during the Mythos phase, I think this is the only card that does that. You can actually take an action in the middle of the Mythos phase, and you draw a card and gain a resource. So it's super action efficient. Great card. And then the other card that I mentioned, Voice of Ra, the one that I'm thinking I'm not putting in uh, as much as I used to. It's a zero-cost event from, from a Mystic class with a willpower icon, and it says, Gain one resource, reveal three random tokens from the Chaos Bag for each negative symbol, which is a Skull, a Cultist, tablet, elder thing, or autofill symbol revealed, you gain an additional two resources. So potentially you can pull, just with this card, playing this card, you potentially can gain seven resources. But there are, pl there are ways to make it work even better. Like if you have, um, um, who's the one? Olive. Yeah, if you have Olive, she can pull you a few more tokens and you can actually potentially gain more. And you can combo it with another card from the Mystic Pool. I forget the name is. Uh, Eldritch Inspiration, I think it's called. Where, where you pull Olive and you trigger her ability again. So you can really combo and get a ton of resources. But everything has to be right in order for it to work. <laughs> and it it's a card that hasn't... I haven't been getting as many resources from it as I expected. So, And I never seem to have the time or the actions to play it. It always seems to come up at the wrong times. So that's what I'm thinking of taking out. But anyways, uh, what about you guys? What, do you, what are cards? What's a card that is a staple for your decks? 
Uh, I think I'm. Uh, I think I'm in the same boat as Nate. As a predominantly solo player, I'm largely looking for cards that are the most efficient as possible. So there's a lot of uh, of combo cards. You know, combo cards largely out there that while they they do neat things i simply don't have the time or resources usually to play them or set them up so i'm always looking for just the most efficient cards possible that that allow me to investigate and fight with as uh, taking up as few actions as possible so you know and the same goes for for skill cards now like the the card pool has gotten so large now that you really are just choosing the best of the best in terms of skills and so there's a bunch of skills out there that are that are good but usually just an unexpected courage is better and so i tend to play unexpected courage in pretty much every deck just because gives me two icons of whatever I need at the time and so I can cut you know all of the other skills and and know that I've got the skills I need when I need them and I think it goes you know depending on the class you know if you're looking at uh, guardians I mean scene of the crime is amazing in a lot of uh, different scenarios just to grab that clue without having to investigate uh, seekers have so many bloody good cards that it's, you know, hard to choose which ones you want to keep and which ones you want to cut. Mystics, I mean, Spectral Razor is amazing. Sixth Sense is amazing. Um, and then you start, you know, Drawn to the Flame is amazing. So, you know, once you start throwing, I mean, there's, you know, Spectral Razor, Drawn to the Flame, and un- Unexpected Courage, you got six cards right there. And then, of course, survivors have look what I found and track shoes and and uh, lucky, of course. You know, one card that always sort of piqued my interest in Guardian and another card um, in the neutral class are the tutor cards, uh, prepared for the worst and backpack. As I see, these cards come up more often in decks recently. But I find myself never wanting to include them because I always find them to be too slow. I feel like in a game where you only have three actions during your turn, it feels pretty bad to have to spend a a third of your turn potentially not getting anything out of your deck. So I used to be a big fan of cards like Backpack and Prepared for the Worst that search your deck for... It's like search a set number of cards out of your deck for a particular asset, but I find myself just sort of overloading on assets or particular cards that I need now that, especially that the card pool is so big, like you were saying, Man from Lang, that you can sort of, you don't really have to pick and choose what you need anymore. There's just so many good options that you can sort of just play them all. Yeah, I find it I find it more difficult when I'm actually upgrading a deck because there's there are so many different options in terms of upgrades and like I'm, I'm trying to like right now I'm, I'm trying to upgrade my Jacqueline fine deck and I'm sitting there thinking, okay, well I'm going to play return to the midnight masks. What do I need in order to beat that scenario? And, and, you know, I've seen builds out there, for example, that are using, you know, level three sign magic 
uh, two copies of that to trigger two copies of Sixth Sense and two copies of Wither to do amazing things. And I look at that and I'm like, I can see, I mean, the it's it's a great combo and it's very powerful. But then I'm like, well, if I get, if I spend some of this experience on um, sign magic, is it going to, am I going to first draw it? Am I going to get to play it? I mean, that's an ass, that's a, an action I'm taking to play it and I'm not getting any real benefit out of it right away. Then if I want to really abuse it, I need to get, you know, my two copies of Sixth Sense down or, or Wither or whatnot. And it's the more I sort of delve into the combo, I'm just like, I would much rather just spend the experience points on Storm of Spirits 3, which gives me three damage to a bunch of enemies. Because I know, I know exactly what I'm going to get out of that, and it's going to hit hard. And so it's 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 I find it challenging when the upgrade when it comes around to upgrades because there's so many available and there's there's sort of lots of interesting things you could do. But in solo, it's really you know you don't have the time necessarily to pull off exciting combos. It's just like I need to be able to investigate and fight. And I need to do both as fast as I can. And so setting up a six-card combo is not just not feasible. I've, I've been finding in the games that Vase and I have been playing on stream together that that kind of feels like the case in two-player as well. In both of the campaigns that we've played on stream together, it feels like we just never have enough time when it's yep. in the scenarios to do things like that, right? Like we end up kind of just having to deal with enemies from very the, get, the very get go. So yeah, the times I've played for, you know, multiplayer, usually four player at, at a convention or something like that. I find that four player is a lot more forgiving where you can, you know, if you, if you want to set up, take a turn to set up, you can do that. And, there's usually somebody else at the table who can who can pick up the slack while you get this you can get your cards down whereas i just i don't feel that way and when i'm playing solo i often will like leave i will not play cards until the very last minute because i just want to get one more clue or move to another location again just trying to get as far into the scenario as I can before I have to actually stop and play stuff. Yeah, and one interesting thing that I've noticed with a lot of my my decks recently is that I sort of end up gravitating towards the same options over and over again. And not that I'm unwilling to experiment with new cards, but the game is hard enough as it is, and it's more that I I know that these tools work, so if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And it makes me sort of hesitant to try new things sometimes. Well, yeah, when you're spending hours and hours playing, and if if you're in a play group, you don't want to let people down because you want to play yeah. a kukri. Yeah, I mean that's a good point. You know, you, you want to, you don't want to drag everyone else down just because you want to try something that you know may not work out very well. Yeah, like I've built some experimental deck, you know, deck experimental decks. As far as I'm concerned, you know, experimenting with some of the new cards that have been released and sometimes they work out and and sometimes they don't and it it usually becomes clear pretty quickly um why uh those cards aren't going to make the cut in my deck because they're just like you say Nate they're they're just one step too slow 
and uh, you quickly realize that when you're suddenly surrounded by enemies or you're you know running up against um, pressure from the agenda deck that you're just you haven't been fast enough. I guess I sort of felt that way with the whole, you know, with the whole bless and curse mechanic, especially during the Innsmouth conspiracy cycle, because, you know, you had to get bless and curse tokens in the bag before a lot of those cards would work. So while these bless and curse cards that use bless and curse tokens had interesting effects, they were just seemed to be one step slower than cards that didn't have to to go through that rigmarole so yeah and in the case of bless and curse oftentimes it wasn't even really worth it to jump through those extra hoops but i hope that they try they try something new i know they've there's been some spoilers uh man from like you received some spoilers from edge of the earth that uh are both reprints of old cards as well as cards that sort of tread new water so i'll be curious to see what uh what decks kind of come out of the out of the woodwork with the new campaign yeah i think there's a lot of interesting cards in edge of the earth that are going to really uh, inspire deck builders i think like a card like into the thick of it which lets you take uh, mental or physical trauma for three experience points right off the bat. I mean, that just a neutral card that gives you three experience points for trauma opens up so much deck building, so many deck building options for all investigators that it's really, I think that's exciting. Yeah. You, and with that card, you can essentially trade like two trauma for a charisma at the start of a campaign, which can really open up some interesting deck building options is you're able to include a couple of allies right from the very get-go, which is really strong, I think, or, or something like Relic Hunter. Yeah, that usual problem of building a level zero deck with multiple allies is suddenly, it's like, okay, well, I start with Charisma, so you're good to go right off the bat. And while that trauma can be certainly more difficult to manage in certain campaigns over others, you know, if you're taking charisma, you essentially have that weakness covered with your ally. So, yeah, but I think, I mean, if you look at cards like Arcane Research, for example, which gives you the option of taking one or two trauma, I don't know many mystic decks that don't make that trade routinely. <laughs> it's like they're just, it's just such a, the, the experience, the XP discount that you get for playing Arcane Research is just so good that I'll take two trauma easily. And I expect that into the thick of it will be much the same way. You know, a lot of people will be just like, I'll take two trauma for for three XP to to give myself a little bit of a boost or, you know, explore a certain type of deck that you couldn't build without that XP. Yeah, I mean, it gives Mateo eight experience at the beginning of a campaign, which is not... Uh, you could give Mateo 20 experience at the start of a campaign and he'd still suck. <laughs> right, base? Wow! I was gonna say shots fired. Everybody, write to Carolyn Pern, the botanist at gmail.com if you <laughs> think that uh, Man from Lang just crossed a boundary there with Ace. Oh man! Do you know what would make honestly the the best thing that you could do with with Mateo is give him five willpower. If you can start a campaign with five willpower, then he would be good. Well, he'd be better, but good he already is good. <laughs> <laughs> he he says sheepishly <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean mateo is good 
But I agree with you. Five willpower would definitely take him up. All the mystics that are single class mystics, him and um, Akachi, like Akachi has five willpower and that's a huge difference. It's just her ability now, her ability was really good when she came out, but now there's so many other mystic assets that don't necessarily need the charges that, especially for solo. Uh, Akachi, I think, is not as good as, as Mateo in solo because her ability is just not... I, I like playing Akachi solo. I, I like playing Akachi, but... but I, because of the five, the five willpower. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I agree. Five willpower is a big, big jump over four in terms of the impact. And extra shriveling charges is always nice, too. It is, but there's so many other cards, in solo especially, that don't necessarily need the that many charges you know now that now that you have cards with unlimited charges that can ping for one using willpower that'll shore up that extra charge that you would normally have wasted just to deal the one damage because as a mystic you wouldn't have any other way to just kill off a creature that had one health left and now you do you know yeah well i think there's a just taking a tangent on a catchy for a moment i think there's there's a lot of design space there to explore with her using charges. Uh, I played a, an Akachi, what's the skull from Forgotten Age? The, uh, the skull from Forgotten yeah, Age. The, the oh, skull that um, starts with zero. Decorated trip. skull? Decorated skull. Yeah, I played a decorated skull Akachi deck that was stacking charges on the skull and then using them to use um, that skill um, power or something rather. I forget what it's called. Uh, uh, torment of yeah, power? Yeah, Torrent or? of Power. So stacking stuff on the skull to fire Torrent of Power. And it was fun, but it was just, it. there wasn't enough there. And I think if they gave her a couple more cards that that let her spend charges, like generate charges and spend charges to do fun things, I think that would be, that would be a lot of fun to play because I was having a blast playing with decorated skull. It was just that there just weren't enough cards to lever the leverage the charges. Like I had torn a power and that was basically it. So once I spent my two torn to powers, it was like, well, I guess I'm, I've got these charges I can use to either draw cards or, or whatnot. Hopefully they do that soon. I mean, we've seen, we've seen them do that with secrets in the seeker class. So it's about time they do that with charges in the mystic class. Yeah, I, feel. I do. I did see that there, there isn't a, I think an a catchy card in edge of the earth. It didn't, uh, I can't remember the name or what it does, but I think my first impression of it was kind of like, meh, doesn't really, doesn't really do what I was hoping it would do. So, but I could be proven wrong. I've been wrong many a time in this game, so perhaps it is the answer we have been waiting for, but it certainly didn't strike me as as such. And what about you, Nathan? I agree. It's easy. It, it gets harder when you've got a lot of options later for upgrades. However, I find myself never really trying to break cards. You know how there's certain combos out there with the key of, of yeast and stuff and, and other things. Uh, sleight of hand combos that can break the game. I don't really care about breaking the game. Like, if I ever play a card that's quote-unquote powerful, I probably won't look up the fact that it has a, a twin with it that makes it, like, broken. I'll just play something because I want to kind of try it out. So I guess I'm more willing to just go with the flavor 
uh, and just try cards out to kind of try them. But there is that, like I, I mentioned and, and you talked about, there's that kind of impetus to not take cards just for fun, but to take cards that will progress you. <laughs> because you don't want to ruin someone's day by totally going experimental and seeing what happens. I brought a popcorn maker. Let's see what happens, folks. Now we're all dead. Okay. See you in a week, you know? Yeah, I think that, that can work if your whole group is into, like letting you do that but yeah or it's like a second string team when you've already clinched the final game it's like all right b team get out there have fun for a little bit i have a i have a good mateo story story for you vase that i have to tell you what's the mateo i can't story? tell it to you now we're in the middle of a recording oh i see <laughs> i play i played a lot of mateo during the forgotten age and so a lot of my opinions about him come from that that period before all the cool cards yeah before all out. the cool cards came out a lot of <laughs> a lot of my mateo hatred is 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 all in jest but it's but it's based on juvenile mateo not yeah before before <laughs> mateo put on his big boy pants and... <laughs> what's next nate well uh when we dive into the community spotlight for this episode nathan do you have anything on the docket for us I do. Do you have any Cyclopean things you wish to cover? I did quickly have something I wanted to mention, because uh, we've brought up uh, The Beard, who is a, a content creator for Arkham, Arkham Horror, the card game. He's made all sorts of uh, scenarios, including the Alice in Wonderland campaign that Face and I have uh, it played through once, and we're definitely going to try to have a better outcome on the second go-through. But he recently released his uh, Cycle... A uh, Cycloplean Foundations campaign, which is a uh, sort of eight-part retelling of the original Call of Cthulhu story, which is really cool. I'm a big fan of that original story, as I'm sure many many of our listeners are. And the beer does a really good job of uh, creating scenarios that are interesting, unique, and uh, very flavorful. Yeah, I want to say for the record that I don't believe he's one person. I think uh, Shakespeare has been guesstimated to have been several people writing all these stories with the sheer volume of work that he came out with. I think that uh, this gentleman is the same because, I mean, he's coming out with these eight scenario campaigns, <laughs> like left and right, and they're good, and it's like, oh my God, how can someone do this when it took me 200 plus hours of working with another person to come up with one freaking scenario that we made? Oh, it's incredible. And some he did some really interesting mechanics in the scenarios. They're not just like plain and and boring. Like there's, there's method to the madness. <laughs> and some of them have some really cool mechanics that, that tell the story the way, you know, that we've talked about before. Um, so, yeah, really impressed with, with the, what I've played so far from The Beard. But, yeah, I just wanted to, to give The Beard a shout-out. Uh, he, he does some really 
awesome work. So if you're curious to check out the campaign, we will put a link in the show notes of this episode so you can check it out for yourself. It's available both in print and play and as a mod on Tabletop Simulator on Steam. I may or may not know exactly who he is because I got a house across the street from him, uh, just like I live across the street from all of you. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Okay, so uh, what about trivia? Let's do some trivia. I'm ready. Uh, Good try. I got a tag on to the community spotlight. I was talking with uh, a Mr. Harrison Guzman, fan of the show, also a member of the Miskatonic Radio. (laughs) Miskatonic University Radio, dude. (laughs) That's what I said. Very professional. If you could Very you check your yeah. right Harrison's so a Harrison's really really nice guy and he's a good artist. He's a great artist. I don't know. He's amazing. First of all, let me just say that there are certain things in life and we all have this problem where you never quite remember it correctly. I think I listen to the Miskatonic University Radio uh, podcast fairly oft along with the other podcast about this game because we have a phenomenal community i just never can fully remember the name but i can imagine the logo and i know the people on it which is better than some people so anyway as i was saying before i was interrupted by facts um i was talking with harrison and he had mentioned that he was getting really excited about delta green and wanted to look more into that So what I think you and Nate, so Vase and Nate, I think you should uh, black bag over his head him and drag him into a Delta Green uh, online scenario or or adventure. Come over, he knows my address. So that is my that is my decree. (laughs) He's across the street. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that would be awesome. Well, he's actually right across the street from me, so I can. That would be super cool. I will. I will reach out to him. And send the invite. <laughs> I got happen. Yeah, he he's done. He's a lot. good he artist too. Me, that's how he knows my address. He sent me I don't know a, if you mentioned that. He made a, a play sticker mat. that he drew of the artwork for a stunning. Is it stunning blow? The one that it's a red card and it's got like a someone hitting something over the head with the hammer or something. Yeah, it's a snake person. Snake person. Yeah, yeah, that one. So he made a sticker for me from that art, and I put it on my Arkham box. And he, it oh, looks just That's like the cool. card. But he clearly freehanded it. He couldn't have traced it. So, Well, that would be fun. I mean, we we regularly play role-playing games with whether patrons of the show or just people in our Discord server. So, I mean, by all means, I'm always down to play role-playing games with people. All right, so tonight, uh, I, I thought we'd shake things up. We're going to do Arkham Horror, the card game trivia. There's going to be the following categories. We're going to have quotes off of cards. We're going to have uh, taglines for allies. Ooh. And we're going to have what's in the picture. Uh, just to clarify so, real quick, you mean like oh, subtitles? Jesus, every Is that time. what you're talking about with the allies? You know what? It's not really important because when I was talking about Miskatonic University Radio, you had to jump in and call me an ass. Okay, now that was me. That was base. <laughs> what? So we're going to start off with Man from Lang, my favorite. 
Uh, Man from Lang, why don't you pick the first category? Uh, The first one. Um, The the quotes one. Okay, Uh, okay. I didn't know if you were just... Okay. Uh, Here we go. This is probably the hardest quote you'll ever have for this segment. The wax tapers give off an eerie glow, and the flames move as if they are... Wow. As if they are alive. Ritual candles, correct. Man from Lang. Uh, Man from Lang. Next pick. Quotes, allies, or picture? Um, picture. Doing the picture. Brother Xavier is holding what items? He's holding a, a Bible and, and a gun. I thought it was a crucifix uh, and a Bible. Oh, thank you. A clear answer. Crucifix and a Bible. And I'm sorry, who said the correct answer earlier? I said a gun and a crucifix. I said a cross okay. and, a, and a gun. Okay. Okay. The answers were gun and a Bible. No crucifix, unfortunately. I knew there was a book in there. Yeah, well, you know, sometimes. Nate, why don't you go ahead and give us another category? Uh, Let's go with allies. Allies. All right. You've just triggered the fact that this entire round's a rapid-fire lightning round. Pew, pew. Insert special effects. All right, I'm going to quickly say these, and you're all going to answer immediately. Here we go. Speaker to the dead. Olive McBride? No, she's Speaker to Witches. Alyssa Graham. That is correct. It is Alyssa Graham. Pew, pew. Next. Uh, He was never there. The Uh, uh, Red Glove Man. Red Glove Man. I'm afraid Vase snuck ahead on that one. Finally get a uh, point. Pure of spirit. What? Pure of spirit. Pure of spirit. Brother Xavier. Correct. Damn. What's wow? The next didn't expect you to get that. That was one. a guess. That was like a the head, head librarian. <laughs> uh, uh um, Abigail Foreman. Abigail. I will uh, say that this one is a story asset. Oh. Oh, that's a that's a trip up. Um, Professor Armitage? Correct. Man from Lang. Oh, man. Next. Big man on campus. Peter, Peter Sylvester. Sylvester. Um, <laughs> I'm going to give Nate the point because he no both way. said the correct answer. I was first. I was how saying come, it. How come that's the one we all knew right away? I was eh, first. Fuck it. That's I'll your, give you both that's what, points. You know how earlier, a long time ago? All right. Uh, uh, if you keep talking, you won't get the next Hold question. Hold on, but Nate, you remember how you Working were... Working <laughs> on something big. Uh, Dr. Mallison. Mm. Wow. Nate. Pulling that out of the t- uh, Mariana's trench. Good <laughs> job. All right. So that was our rapid-fire ally round. Pew, pew, pew. All right. Vase. Picture Point. or quote? Uh, picture. Doing the picture. Um, Brother Xavier's holding what two items? You did that one already. A Bible and a gun. Yeah, I just want to see if you get it right and see who'd bitch about it. Nobody got it. Uh, but <laughs> I'm not going to give you points. All right. What? Uh, That's a okay. point. Here. Nobody else got it. Um, rude. Okay, as I was saying, here's one that I don't think I've ever asked before. Double or nothing. What's on the roulette wheel? Double zero? Double or nothing. I guess... 
think of something that's not on a roulette wheel normally. Uh, a poker chip? Okay. Good guess. Something Anybody else? Not normally on a roulette wheel. You, your ball landing on the winning thing that you chose. It's usually not on a roulette wheel. Nobody? The is answer is cockroaches. There are three cockroaches on the roulette wheel. It is very is creepy right? and very much fits in with the theme uh, of Arkham Horror, in my opinion. All right. Uh, Man from Lang. Quotes or picture? Quotes. Quote. God has spoken. I will do his work without hesitation. God our Savior? Yeah. You'd think so. <laughs> Uh, no, it's, uh, Zoe. What's her last name? Samaras. Samaras. Yeah. I will give that to you, though, Vase. Good job. Thank you. Vase, quote or picture? Let's go with quote. It seemed to be better do, doing better with that. Searchers after horror haunt strange far places. Fun fact, every single card that I'm asking you about is in the Dunwich Legacy. Mm. I see. Okay. Anybody? It's a commonly used card for seekers. <laughs> um. Searchers after horror haunt strange far places. Um... Pathfinder. Correct. What? what? No way. All right. Next. No way. Vase. <laughs> Today I'm would you like, really lucky. Vase, <laughs> yeah. would you like picture or quote? Let's go with quote. You know this town like the back of your hand. Shortcut? Correct. Nate. Okay, Nate. Okay. Nate, would you like picture or quote? Uh, picture. Good, because quotes are gone. Picture, newspaper. What is she drinking? Coffee. Vase, correct. I would have also accepted nothing since she's not looking or touching the coffee. Vase. <laughs> uh, you have no say here. Next. I know that was the point. Here we go. <clears throat> uh, library assistant. What is she holding? Magnifying glass. The Dewey Decimal System. She a beaker? Glasses. She has glasses in her hand. Although, I want to see all these things. Last question for the round. A chance encounter. What color is the woman's dress? Red. Boom. Man from Lang. Man. Resounding end. So, excellent round, everybody. Everybody was engaged. There was not a lot of bickering or saying how bad these questions were this time. I consider that an improvement. Uh, however, if anybody feels like they got a lot of the answers correct and deserve a prize, you can write to carolynfernthebotanist at gmail.com and base might send you something. People have literally uh, started signing up that email to spam websites. I'm getting emails from spam websites <laughs> about getting cash advances and getting... I mean, <laughs> I don't know if you're have, causing it, Nathan. Have or, you gotten cat facts? No cat facts, but like cash advance stuff, a ton of cash advance stuff, um, other stuff, 
just crazy, crazy. Political oh, so you stuff. mean I wasn't supposed to use that email? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> A friend in town wants to talk to you. Uh, so at the end of that round, we have Nate at four points, Vase at five points, and Man from Lang at four points. This is probably the highest scoring round we've ever had. Seriously, kudos to everybody. I can't so, believe Vase won for once. Well, you know, he is right across the way from me. I can actually see him from my and window. Fun fact, I think it's the first trivia where I actually got even one point in the last, like, three episodes. <laughs> <laughs> to, to be fair, he does shout out random answers a lot very loudly. Every True. Thor and Loki has his day, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Wow, rude. Well, I wanted to just uh, thank everybody for listening and thank my wonderful co-host for all the work they do. In between these recordings, I get to watch, you know, you play your games on uh, stream, on the Discord, etc. And Man From Lang, I, of course, catch up with all of your content, which is fairly uh, voluminous and always on point. So, once again, thank you for all being part of the community. You know, as, as Nathan was alluding to earlier we obviously do release content on our own which if you're curious there will be links in the description of this episode but i think that's going to do it for the four of us this evening uh, i've been your host nate lost in time and space and i was joined with this episode by i'm the man from Lynn from the whisper and darkness youtube channel and i'm innkeeper vase from the twisted tentacle and yeah nathan it's been so long since we recorded i forget that this is quiet time right now <laughs> i just can't get over the size of the dildo that was on the in <laughs> now, well, this is recording, so now people are going to wonder what the heck we were talking about before. <laughs> it was covered, so we can only guess what it was, but yeah. that seems to be the prevailing theory anyway. <laughs>